Hey, my name is Amy McLavin. I'm a rower and filmmaker from Philadelphia, and this is the Steady State Podcast. Welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water's always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real-life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode, our first anniversary special. We looked back at the launch of Steady State Network in June 2020, went behind the scenes of the podcast, gave updates on our Changemaker Scholarship Initiative, and went unscripted to talk about our own experiences as rowers and coaches. If you missed it, or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, would you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. Back in February, I took a spontaneous trip to Sarasota, Florida to check out the Olympic rowing trials. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, there were very few people on site at Nathan Benderson Park, and I grabbed a prime spot at the finish line to spectate. A guy with a digital camera kit was shooting video, so I decided to introduce myself to talk some shop. Turns out that guy was Eamon Glavin, whose close-up slow-mo rowing videos have gone viral over the past year. We are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. Eamon Glavin is a former high school and collegiate rower who started messing around with cameras and boats and drones overhead to capture video of rowing unlike anything else we've seen in mainstream rowing media. And for the past year, he's been following Olympic hopefuls through training, racing, and trialing to produce a rowing documentary about their Olympic journey. Thanks for being with us this morning. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, okay, so we'll get started. Uh, so usually what we ask our guests at the beginning of uh, the podcast is, how is your rowing week going? How is my rowing week going? I, well, I was, I took like a week off and went to Maine to travel. So now I'm back and I had like three people reach out like, hey, could you come film us down on Boathouse Row? So I'm like, yeah, let me see what I can schedule. I'll be there tomorrow at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So that's my rowing week and I'm trying to get back into shape. So I haven't been doing actual rowing, unfortunately. Really just spending all my time trying to film, record any kind of rowing content. And then, you know, all this stuff is happening. It's like, oh man. So we actually... We want to talk to you about the film that you're making. We want to talk with you about the rowers that you've been following. But something we always want to know about the folks that we talk with is what is your rowing origin story? How did you get started rowing? I have, since I've been very young, always been better at cardio and running sports but, and I tried to be a lacrosse player, like my dad, my brothers, my uncles, it was a lacrosse family. And then one thing led to another, go away for a year, come back. I tried cross country and I was about to start uh, training for lacrosse. And my dad goes, Hey, you should try rowing. We have a cousin that's rowed and he did really well. He loved it. I said, no, well, dad got his way by getting me to the first learn to row and 
good thing you did because I was immediately hooked. I was like, oh, I am actually not too bad at this. I have general idea of how to make my body move in certain ways. And I had the cardio fitness from running cross country for the last few years and it just made sense. And so I took it on and at the end of the first season, I was like, I'm never going back. There's no chance. This is it. And this is my sport. What do you remember about some of those first few practices? Like, what did you like so much about it? I really liked that I was able to pick it up very quickly, given my uh, hand-eye coordination from all the ball sports when I was younger. And so I was immediately competitive. I was immediately able to, you know, not be the tallest guy or the strongest guy, but because I picked up the technique, I was competitive. And so those moments were definitely the most impactful for me because I was able to compete with guys much bigger than me. Whereas you play lacrosse or football and you go up against a bigger guy and you've been playing for 10 years and he's been playing for one, he can still beat the crap out of you. (laughs) Whereas you sit up, line up next to each other in two quads and you're able to hold a higher stroke rate, better technique. It doesn't matter if you're you know, two feet shorter than the guy next to you, you can just take it and run with it no matter what at the very beginning. And then, you know, once you get the bug, it's just like, ah, this, I want to get better. And so you spend all that time in the summer training. What was it like to switch to a sport that was about really uh, synchronicity with other people and then adding that whole water component? Because I feel like that's something that really throws people or is really an attractive component to people is they love being in nature, they love being on water, they love that feel. And then there's this interdependency with the sport that's unlike any other team sport um, you could possibly do. So is there something attractive about that to you, that that interdependency? Yeah, I, I definitely got much closer with my rowing teammates than I did with my other teammates. Uh, cross country is very individual. Rowing can be individual, but most of the time you're usually working better and together in a group. But once I was in a boat with three other guys, when I first started rowing in a quad here in Philadelphia, we, we just, for lack of a better term, synced up, got going, figured out how to row together and just spent all this time hanging out inside, inside of school, outside of school, at practice, after practice, all that kind of fun stuff that, you know, you get a community. So when I started going with the team atmosphere, I thrived, but then also going into the uh, like nature aspect that didn't matter as much to me. I always enjoyed just trying like a new sport that I thought was kind of level playing field for everyone. And you know, when you have 70 to 100 people lining up across for a line for a cross country race, and it's for two miles, three miles, 5k, whatever it is, everyone starts in the same spot and funnels in. And I had always had that mentality of we're all starting from the same spot, doing the same thing. Uh, Who can deal with it better is, you know, that, that really sent uh, that feeling of, can I overcome the same thing better than someone else was like, Oh, okay. That's great. It wasn't, it was never like, Oh, I'm out in nature. I was 15, 16. So I was like, this is just cool. Like I have to put on sunscreen, darn it. Like all the time, but going out in the water and being cold, it's like, why, why would I enjoy this? 
So I spent a lot of my time just really taking on the challenge of trying to get good at the sport instead of enjoying the, the outdoor nature aspect of it. Cause back then it just didn't matter to me. It's fun now. Like I enjoy it now and I get to go to a lot of cool places, but back then none of that really had a mental effect. Yeah. I'm not sure I was thinking those sorts of things when I was younger and playing sports outside either. Uh, I remember playing softball in high school and I wasn't thinking, man, this is a really gorgeous venue we're at, you know, we're there to play the game. Um, I think we hear that a lot more from um, masters rowers who come into it later in life and who are looking for, you know, something new, a new activity. And, and along with it, they had the opportunity to see sunrises they never saw and birds and wildlife that they never knew were there in their, um, where, you know, whatever town that they're in. So, all right. So you learned to row in high school, you get hooked, you row all the way through high school um, and end up at Duke. What was the program like there? Is it a club program at Duke? Yes, it is as student run as it comes. I took it on with a couple friends and we took it under our wing and just built the team up as much as we could. So basically two of my friends, John and Sergio, we ran the team from spring break my freshman year on. It's a ton of work, <laughs> but you you own it, right? You own it. And you're the ones that are making sure that everything builds and develops and, and happens. And yeah, you take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. I have a question for you. So when you went off to Dublin, you went off to uh, get a master's degree at Trinity College, right? I first started off just working over oh. at Trinity College Dublin in the sports department. I found a job online. I applied, interviewed, and two weeks later flew out. It helped that I was a dual citizen and everything, It was, which made it smoother. The next thing I know, I'm on a flight to Ireland showing up with my camera bag, a backpack, and a roller bag. And that was it. And while I was over there is when I met someone who was a student recruiter. I was rowing with him. The next thing I know, I'm staying for another year for a master's. When I first moved over to Ireland, I looked at all the different clubs, messaged them, asking what club I should join or do you think I should join? I asked like the university teams, the club teams, and they all kind of pointed me towards commercial rowing club. The season finished and then I was going to Trinity. I switched to the Trinity College team and it was a structured competitive program. It was a lot of fun. And so that's how my my Irish rowing journey began. Had you had um, aspirations uh, outside of collegiate rowing? Because you went through high school rowing and collegiate rowing. Had you had personal rowing aspirations beyond uh, rowing in college? Yes. I, you know, a young rower to me, like, here's the top. I want to get to the top. I was always trying to emulate the, the greats of the sport. At, so the 2012 Olympics was huge for me because I was like just getting into it getting very excited to see Mahi Drysdale and Andre Sinek like battling side to side because a coach used it as a way to show technique. Like I've always had aspirations like I want to row at the Olympics. I know what it takes to get there and I've seen it now, especially, but you know, life, life moves on and trying to start a different kind of career now. And it's like, ah. Hey there, a quick favor. We're conducting an audience survey. We'd be really grateful if you could just take a couple of minutes and answer the questions. Whether you've listened to one episode or all of them, your opinion matters. To take the survey today, visit steadystatenetwork.com slash listener survey. Thanks. In two, we're back with rower and filmmaker Eamon Glavin. That's one, two. 
So I'm curious to talk about the filmmaking side, your filmmaker journey. Because one of the things that I find interesting, and I've talked to Rachel about this, about documentary filmmaking, is that when you go into a documentary, you think you're making one film. And the beauty of the documentary is the how it goes off course and how you adjust and how the story becomes this story or that story. Can you just take me, take us through where this idea came from, what, what is the idea? Tell us what exactly you're doing and then how the journey has been so far and, and all of that. So my filmmaking journey for this year really started back in 20, you could say 2018, when I, after I finished running the rowing team in, at college, I had been doing all the publications and hype videos and so I was, I've always been into video and filmmaking. Going into uh, a year away in Ireland, my parents are going to miss me. I want I had always wanted to try daily vlogging. So I daily vlogged. I was able to post 365 videos for 365 days. That's a commitment. Yeah. That... Yeah. And that commitment, uh, it was also great practice to film, create and post the content and just get uh, comfortable with that. And so as I did, as I did that, I started to build a small audience the whole year as of it, it was interesting, but each individual day was probably pretty boring to watch. I know it was, I was there. <laughs> and so as I got into 2020, I was like, okay, I'm not daily vlogging anymore. I burned out. I don't want to do that. So I took like two months off, just trained, had fun in college and was getting back into it. And then the world shuts down, I fly back home. And so I started posting again in July, couple of cool videos of me rowing with a drone, uh, playing with things, how to film yourself rowing. I had always wanted to tell people that because a lot of people asked me, but I always had the inkling and want to create something bigger. And so I got a new camera. I upgraded my camera to a you could call it an intro cinema camera. It has very high uh, uh, frame rate, so I can do slow motion. It has very high resolution, so it can be in 4K. And it has the uh, capability to take very cinematic images or video. Now I have the equipment. I want to create something. My best friend from high school is going down to Texas again. He did it last year to train for trials with a group and create a, uh, a couple boats that are going to go to trials and probably do really well. And it'd be really cool to follow him and create a video about row lightweight rowing in the U S. So that's where the initial idea for this whole documentary was. I wanted to follow the lightweights training for the Olympics and follow them as far as they can get. And so with that, I drove, I packed up my gear, packed up my boat too, drove down to Texas, knowing that I would head over to Sarasota to follow them and stay with my friend. Didn't know where I was staying in Sarasota. Found out I had cousins a lot closer than I realized stay with them. So I just packed up and drove down wanting to create a video about lightweight rowing. As you said, things change. They didn't change as much as I, as you might think. I'm still filming rowing and lightweights, but when I was down in Texas, I met Jevy Stone and her training group. I got a chance to go out with them on a launch, film them, and people, I 
while I was doing this, decided, okay, I want to throw up more stuff on Instagram, get people interested, start promoting this documentary that's going to be published after the Olympics sometime when everything's said and done. And as that's happened, my audience has basically grown exponentially Mm. uh, because I finally started promoting my own content by publishing it, very short, simple clips, not editing it as much as I do with my videos. And so by people seeing more content, they were like, oh, this is really good stuff. And it's just grown and snowballed from there. So the whole documentary is now possibly including all trials boats. So basically going from a independent rower to club team, to trials, to going to Lucerne and winning for like Molly Michelle and then going to the Olympics like that as everyone funnels into the best of the best, we have one boat that's getting out of that, that has qualified. But then you also have the Kara Kohler from the women's single. You have Jevy who after losing the Kara goes in and wins with Christy in the double. So everyone's stories are pointing them to this, this moment of going to the Olympics as they have just arrived in Hawaii at the time of this recording. So everyone is uh, going into the fine point of their training and following all of that has been really fun. I based it off of some old rowing documentaries like A Fine Balance, uh, the Irish lightweight double uh, Red Bull doc 15 minute thing on YouTube. Like I love the footage from that and I love the storytelling from you know Mike Tatey deciding who's in the boat and all those kinds of moments and trying to create my own version of that about this year's Olympics. Good news. Steady State Network co-founders Rachel and Tara are meeting face-to-face for the first time at U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, August 12th to 15th. We want to meet you there too. Look for the Steady State Network broadcast booth in Bender's Row. We'll be selling swag, talking with rowers, coaches, and coxswains live on Facebook and Instagram, hosting coffee chat each morning, and hanging out for happy hours. So if you'll be at Masters Nationals 2021, stop by and say hello. In two, we're back with rower and filmmaker, Eamon Glavin. That's one, two. And so you've met a lot of great characters. And I know Rachel and I are, are treating this episode when it comes out as a bit of an Olympic preview. And I, we feel like you have had a very unique perspective on the rowers and on the, the rowing itself. And, and we're curious about who should we be watching out for and what's a, what's a good story we'll, we'll want to be watching for. I think one of the best stories is our lightweight women's lightweight double they molly michelle are just they're beasts they are so fast they're so fit they're so fun to be around and being able to see them basically meet them in sarasota and not even meet them just kind of be around and they have seen my footage they're like you're the you're the video guy i'm like yeah like good luck guys like yeah hopefully i'll see you in lucerne and all that stuff and then i was able to and you know i'm sitting in the bushes as they're going across the line i'm hearing them scream after qualifying and knowing that they're going to the Olympics and you hear them just shout Tokyo and you're just like oh this is so exciting and you know being around and capturing it and showing them the footage and then being like oh this is amazing you know I've gotten myself into that world of elite sports just because I love showcasing these elite athletes 
So those those two are my pick for an Olympic medal from the trials camps. I think Jevy's going to Jevy and Christy are going to really fight for medal. It's going to be tough because there are some very fast boats and some boats that really know how to peak at you know the right time. But Jevy has as well. So, you know, we'll see. But she's definitely, you know, has another half to her to worry about now instead of just her on this in the single. So that'd be interesting. Um, obviously, Caterpillar is fast. <laughs> She'll be hopefully peaking at the right time as well. So the women's sculling is looking great. And all the women who uh, made it into the quad that went to women's single trials, then women's double trials, now made the quad boat. I you know, am really excited for them because obviously they all know how to move a single. And if you can move a single, you can usually find a way to move a bigger boat too. Yeah. Most of the time. So obviously our women's sculling is just top notch. And then when people compare it to the men's sculling, it's very disappointing. And, you know, I've seen the guys train. It's not like they're not trying. It's just, there's a very different uh, atmosphere around men's sculling than there is women's sculling. So that's one of the interesting things I found out, but our women's sculling is great. And then of course, all of our, big camp boats are just, you know, beasts. They're all super fast. It's going to be really fun to watch. I hope I have a couple friends in the uh, men's eight now, and I'm really excited to see them. And I have, uh, you know, a lot of admiration for those guys who can just put down some big ergs and then move a boat too. It's just, I'm very jealous. I wish I was six foot nine pulling five forty, but alas. <laughs> so yeah. the, the story that I think is the most compelling right now, I think is Molly Michelle's because they were able to come together and find a boat that works. Is this the two gals of one of them has her head shaved in a very the, unique the side shaved? Yes. Yeah. It's almost, it's kind of a Mohawk, but kind of yeah. long. That's some free speed right there. She is looking <laughs> quick. She is, you know, you, you see her when she's rowing and you're like, wow, she is so intense. And then she has the, biggest smile when you come off the water you're like oh my gosh this is amazing she's awesome and really just a funny person so i i think they are just such a great story because they were the ones to get through the uh regatta of death they got through the hardest regatta of rowing and that that is just one of the coolest things i got to witness in my journey so for the people who are listening and don't know what the regatta of death is can you explain what the regatta of death is? The world championships before the Olympics is when you can qualify your boat to go to the Olympics. So if your men's eight or women's eight gets top five, you get to that boat gets to go to the Olympics. The U S can send a boat to the Olympics in the men's eight. You, you won't be in that boat. That's not determined. So you have to make the boat in the next year. If your boat does not reach the qualifying place, you have a last chance to get to go to the Olympics by going to the final Olympic qualification regatta. And in each of those events, there's only two spots. If you get first or second in your event, you get to go to the Olympics. You get to go to the Olympics, not the boat class. You get to go. It just is the hardest regatta to be at because all these people are peaking in order to have a chance to go to the finals and then qualify top two. So getting to the regatta of death is 
you, you have to win your own trials in your country, represent the US or Ireland or whoever. Then you go to the regatta and then you very well could just get knocked out in reps, which is what unfortunately happened to all the men's sculling boats. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that explanation. I think that's really helpful. I don't think people understand what those steps are to get to the Olympics and that there are these second chances and there are these other uh, ways of getting there um, than a traditional route. I was curious how you ended up getting access to the high performance team in the first place. And you mentioned that you had a, who had a friend who was trialing. So how did that work out? Did you just say, Hey, can you introduce me to the coach (laughs) and can I get in a launch with this guy? Quite literally, yes. Yeah. That was almost exactly how it worked. I've made a few rowing videos before. (laughs) Yeah. Before this year. So they already kind of knew some of my stuff. They were just excited to have someone down filming them because nobody in the sport really gets any press. Coming down with an actual camera and then seeing the footage from the first day when I wasn't actually using my new camera, I was just like out in the morning with my other camera. They were like, whoa, this is really cool. And then when I brought out my new camera they were like whoa this is really cool when it was down slow motion they were like you can come do whatever you want film us like you know you also are a rower so you understand what it's like to go through this training so you won't get in the way and you understand that sitting in the back of the coach's launch and yelling out at them is not what i'm there to do i'm there to capture them in their moments and so getting access at the very beginning was not actually that difficult. It was a great entry point. Since then, it's just been exploding of people asking me to come film them. It's been uh, me saying, hey, it would be great if I could hop on a launch. You're like, yes, please. What what time works for you? I know the training schedule is very important. The time, the recovery, I have been through rowing. I know the cool angles. I know what people want to see. I also know that I have random skills like flying a drone and rowing at the same time that I've uh, incorporated in my stuff. And they would love to see those kinds of things about themselves. And so my work has been gun to speak for itself. I, you know, look back at your work and something definitely changed. Like in February, you get down to Texas and you start dialing in like what your style is, you know, and you know what your equipment is, you start shooting with a drone and really pretty quickly, at least after that, for me, when I started not just following, but also talking about you and your work, people are like, oh yeah, I know that guy. And I can't really think of anybody else in the rowing community doing the sort of work that you're doing. Well, one of my favorite things about you and why you sort of came up into my, you know, feed or or what have you was that you are so excited about the things that you're able to do. And so you present this like, oh my God, look what I got. Like, look at this footage that I got, which is really refreshing, I think, because there's a lot of people who are just like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Or it's seen as maybe a weakness to share your process with people of how you're discovering filmmaking. So I've just really loved that genuine um, enthusiasm that you have for filmmaking. And and it's been really fun to see you get excited about like, oh, my God, look at this footage I got in Texas. Um, Because that's where I first saw you was uh, when you were doing that footage. It, It just is such a service because I think after you now, there might be more 
kids who get into filmmaking and filmmaking for their crews and not just the kid with coach's eye, you know, sitting in the launch boat, you know, for the coach, maybe there's someone taking it um, to the next level like you did. Yeah. It's been, it's been really fun because, because I'm a huge rowing nerd. I'm on rowing YouTube, I guess you could call it and rowing Instagram, like, and people call it rowing TikTok. The, my feed shows up with the, top quality U.S. rowing stuff that hires a guy who was a rower and made the national team hype videos like that is top tier filmmaking but also he is a filmmaker that does everything else and I'm learning how to do the filmmaking and I would like to get to that level but also I'm enjoying taking a 360 camera putting it on the boat and being like look you can look around and see me rowing in all different angles to you know a couple people started rowing uh, vlog channels after I did mine and they uh, they mentioned me in a video and for some reason they have like 10 views and it shows up on my YouTube and I'm like oh I watch it I'm like oh that's sweet like that's exciting they they started it right. plus you can count the amount of rowing vloggers on like one hand well yeah, yeah there are a couple things I, I'm, I'm thinking about which is you know Everybody can create content these days, right? Everybody's doing it. We jumped on the bandwagon last year, creating our own content, but literally you've got a phone and access to the internet and a couple of social media accounts and you can dump whatever you want out there. The difference with you is that you know what you're doing. (laughs) You're coming at this with a bachelor of arts in visual media studies, right? And a master's in digital uh, marketing strategy. So you've got a really solid base um, that is allowing you to A, get a foot in the door in certain places, shoot amazing quality video and and then promote it. And so I was was actually watching, um, I was watching your video where you're day one driving from Philly to Texas, right? And you outline three things that you're worried about. You say you are worried about creating something good enough that people are going to like it, that there are enough people that want to watch it to make it worth making, and you're worried about getting press credentials. So I was kind of wondering, looking looking back six months now, do you are you worried about those same things anymore? Always. Yeah. I, I always want to continue improving it and creating things that people want to watch. I have the idea that if I create something I'm excited about, there has to be some people that are like me wanting to create the, the top quality content for this community is okay. Now I'm at the point where I am creating it. People have said that, you know, I, I still am a big self-critic of course. Uh, I want my stories to be better. I want my editing to be better. I want my, footage to be steadier so I get equipment to help me with that all those kinds of things that I'm constantly trying to improve because I know that at one point I'm going to need to branch out and branching out from being the best in a small pond to a bigger pond and then grow from that pond to a bigger pond is like the natural progression of a filmmaker or a content creator is it worth going through all this effort to create something for such a small niche community Yes, it, it very much has been. I've, I've gotten to meet so many different types of people. Getting press credentials is still very much one of the most difficult things to do because of just the fact that NBC owns the Olympics mm. and everything about it. There's broadcast mm-hmm. rights. 
having broadcast rights to deal with makes things very difficult uh, for a small niche content creator. If you want to use the uh, Olympic name and license the footage, it's about $6,000 a year for the for licensing fee. And I went yeah. 6000 a yeah. year? Yeah. <laughs> like that amount of red tape has been difficult. It's forced me to get creative. The most recent thing to happen is NBC 10 Philadelphia used my footage in a, sm- a special that they published uh, a few days ago, oh. which was really cool. It was wow. also kind of weird because I, I was very in the dark on when they would publish it and all that kind of stuff. I knew they wanted to do that. I knew they would like my footage. It might open a door to help me. Yeah. So we're trying to figure that out, but you know, yeah. it's, a, it's pretty rocky. So working with all that kind of red tape and just processes that I just started this in February. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I just know how rowing works, how to film rowing. And I've gotten better at it as the months have gone on. I think. I think Tara and I would agree that, you know, as, as entrepreneurs and um, content creators, um, you're doing all, all the right things, right? You are taking the steps and getting yourself out there. Um, but a big question I have for you is, you know, are you going to Tokyo? Not unless something crazy happens in the next few days. I'm going to try. I'm going to talk to as many people as I can see what I can do. But the likelihood of me getting there to film. So unless something crazy happens, there's no chance that I'll be over in the Olympics. So how do you so how do you wrap up your documentary? You've only you know, if you can't quite film the last big, important piece of it. Going to have to get creative. Yeah, I, I have this idea of after the Olympics going to each of the the boats that I followed. So the men's lightweight double, the women's lightweight double, the single caracola, like all the different boats that have gone through trials and I've followed. Because I know that if we tell the story through them, really have them discuss what it was like, because I can ask certain questions. I can ask, show them footage and be like, do you remember this? What were you thinking in this moment? I think right now my best bet would be to get the footage from them if they record any and splice it in with credits and everything to them, but also uh, get them after the fact because people are going to be a lot more busy. They're probably going to take a month off the training and all that kind of stuff. So I'll be able to drive around to all the different cities, get set them up for interviews for an hour. And then that be the meat and potatoes of the documentary Mm -hmm. because this whole thing, I don't know how it ends. Right. And so trying to capture everything and then get to the end and have as much as I can to then be able to go back and use depending on how things transpired. So yeah. if we get to the Olympics and US gets gold in literally everything, I'm going to have a lot of footage of happy people talking about things. So yeah. I, it's going to be difficult to edit. Then that all is going to happen after the Olympics, and then I'll probably spend a month or two editing at least, getting a lot of help with it, trying to create something really just entertaining for people, but also something that I'm proud of, that I've basically spent all of 2021 on. You know, I probably need to get a real job, as my mom likes to joke about, but also maybe maybe this is what I do and I can make a full-time job at it. I, I don't know. I'm just riding the wave. So hopefully whatever happens after the Olympics and I can get them for interviews and 
get footage from them or maybe ask them like, hey, take take a little bit more footage than you normally would. And I might be able to use it. And because I'm not going to be over there, like that in and of itself is going to just give me more to work with. Yeah, if you could get a handful of people to be your ambassadors, you know, while you're there, it's a, it is a big ask because you know that they're busy and they've got other things going on. But um, that could be pretty exciting to get that firsthand perspective from them. Um, so yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens uh, with racing at, at the end of July. I think uh, Olympic racing starts with the 22nd of July and runs for several days. And we'll see where the story, you know, takes you and takes them when you manage to do all the editing and you finesse this thing into the piece that you want it to be and you're ready to get it out there in the world this is all self-produced right so this is going to hit youtube <laughs> right yeah. but i really hope that you just keep working the connections that you have to get this seen by as many people as possible because I'm actually I was actually floored when you told me yesterday that nobody else has talked to you about your work like I I just can't believe it like some somebody should be excited about the work that you're doing and I and I hope that you are able to find an even bigger platform than your YouTube channel for this so we'll definitely be following it we'll definitely help promote this thing for you to our you know our little audience of people um, yeah and you know nowadays it's so interesting with Arshe Cooper's movie and Mary Mazio making that movie like rowing on the big screen is not an unusual concept and I think you're doing an interesting thing where you're not just another vlogger or a content creator or creating reels or something for Instagram you're actually creating cinematic content right and and we see those mostly in hype videos like University of Washington men's rowing and women's rowing makes hype videos that are so damn good and so does cal you know the big programs make these amazing videos but it's like those are kept in that social media sphere and now we see this a most beautiful thing like cinematic big screen so i think there's like there's a shift happening where rowers as rowers we love to see rowing like that's what makes the podcast so interesting is that that people want to hear rowing or they want to see rowing. And then of course we want to talk about rowing. So this is kind of a perfect merger of all of the things. Cause when we have our show notes after the show, it'll have all sorts of links um, to your, to your work. So yeah, I just love where this is all going. Yeah. I, right. I hope it uh, works out and hearing all of these stories and following it and now being in it has been really fun, but also I, I think of the, ones that inspire me as rowing cult classics you know the mike tady you gotta stay on it dave you gotta stay on it like that we my friends in ireland who are rowers quote that to me because mm -hmm. it's such a great moment so maybe i can create those moments too but i i don't know i so i'm just trying to create what i can and hope that it's up to the standard of what everyone's expecting now that i've been posting all the time and have seen it and, you know, I might, I might be setting myself up to fail, but it's the only way to learn and figure out how to do it better next time. If there's the next time, who knows? Well, it looks like you're putting together something that's going to be pretty damn, damn fantastic. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Um, Tara, we are way past our hour. Should we wrap it up the way we always do? Yeah. So uh, we do what's called rapid fire. 
Um, and we just ask you a question and just single short answers is ideal. Um, and here we go. You ready? Okay. Good to go. Single or double? Double. Bow seat or stroke seat? Bow seat. Sprint race or head race? Sprint. Unisuit or tank and trow? Unisuit. Favorite place to row? Blessington Lake in Ireland. Uh, best footage you shot for the documentary? All boats across start line of the U.S. Trials 1. Best piece of rowing advice you've picked up along the way? Watch a lot of film and try and emulate the best. And most importantly, coffee before or after a row? I don't drink coffee. I'm not a good answer. <laughs> that That's the answer right there. Totally fine. We don't drink coffee either, but a lot of people have it like tapped into their veins. So, Willpower. <laughs> <laughs> Well, seriously, you, this is just super exciting and uh, I can't wait to see it. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Eamon. Thank you. Yeah, of Thanks. course. Take care. Bye. Let me know if there's anything else you need. Just send me a message. Okay, I will. Thank yeah. you. All right, bye. Bye. To see photos of Eamon, along with links to the people, clubs, and regattas mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Steady State Network is interested in your story. If you've got something to share, email us at submissions at steadystatenetwork.com. Did you know that Steady State is more than a podcast? We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and around the world. Tara and I get together with our global teammates to talk rowing, life, and everything in between. You're invited to join us for a 30-minute coffee chat every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Facebook Live. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. Are you looking for weekend workout buddies? Join us for Steady State Sundays once a month at 6.45 a.m. Pacific, 9.45 a.m. Eastern. During these free 60-minute Steady State ERG workouts, we provide cues and insights to keep you motivated. Arrive warmed up, work at your own pace, and stick around to talk. Visit SteadyStateNetwork.com events to see the schedule. We're also a proud media sponsor of Seize the Oar Foundation. Seize the Oar champions inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. Learn more at SeizeTheOar.com. To find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, visit steadystatenetwork.com slash events. In two, let it run. That's one, two, let it run.